0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the climate revolution. My name is Johan Bernot, and I'm on a mission to shake things up. It is time we get serious and address this climate crisis. In each episode, I'll provide a platform for top climate thinkers, entrepreneurs, and investors to share their insights, innovations, and contrarian views. Let's learn from visionary thought leaders and hear their ideas that can profoundly reshape society and bring us one step closer to a sustainable world. Today, I'm receiving Wojtek Vosicki, one of Europe's top experts in circular economy and a rising content creator. We explore the circular economy and give practical examples of new business models that will lead to less trash and generate more cash. We explore examples of nations like Costa Rica that have cracked circularity at scale and whether bigger and richer nations can imitate them, whether a shift to a full circularity is more likely to happen, top down from states and governments pushing regulations or bottom up from communities, from you and I. We explored the vastly underestimated power of the creator economy and the vital role that content creators on LinkedIn or Instagram have to play to diffuse transformative ideas and new business models. And finally, we riff on a new form of monetary value inspiring others, as we believe inspiring masses is probably the main driver of impact, which is probably one of the best ways to solve this crisis and accrue vast monetary gains along the way. Let's go. Voita! welcome to Climate Insiders.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So in one word, how would your best friend finish the sentence, Voita is?
1: A circular economist. Fair enough. Would be so, right, probably. Yeah, if you ask me, if you ask my friends, they would probably say a lot of other things, you know, crazy, funny, good friend, hopefully.
0: Your mom is probably has probably given up in uh, the uh, understanding of this whole thing and she probably calls you crazy, like the rest of us. <laughs> 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 so, how do you help? organizations and the whole spectrum of people go circular. I mean, it is a big term. It has a rise to you know, fame and gone mainstream, but I don't think people really understand. So what, what are kind of the ranges of things to make them do it?
1: I agree. I think and that's the first thing uh, what to do you know, when it comes to circular economy. I don't think we talk enough about it uh, here in Europe or anywhere around the world. <laughs> people focus a lot on climate and but i think if you ask them the first thing that comes to their mind is renewable energy like you know mm-hmm. electric cars or solar panels and i think that's extremely important but what i like to say it's this is just like one side of the coin you know what we need to do if we are serious about carbon neutrality the other half of the coin is all the resources all the stuff all the waste that is created by the way we live. And um, this is today the linear economy, You know the world where we live in today, where we take stuff off the ground, we, we make things out of them and then we waste them. And both problems, you know, living off fossil fuels and wasting pretty much everything you see around ourselves, I think are the main challenges. I'm trying to tackle the other one, uh, the circle economy. Is the solution, and I'm, I think you know. I do several ways. A lot of people know me from LinkedIn. I create a lot of content. I talk about you know why do I think this is important? Why do I think you should be interested in? Like what are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What are the solutions? And that's um, people say like the top of the funnel um, way to reach as many people as possible. But then, you know, everyone needs to uh, make a living somehow. I happen to represent Circle Economy, that's a global impact foundation, um, and it's an amazing team. They're sitting in Amsterdam, uh, and they've been working with hundreds of corporates, 50 cities and regions, and even nations on, you know, understanding where they are, what should be their vision, and how to get there when it comes to Circle Economy. So. This this is the world that I come from, you know, a lot of consultancy, advocacy, and so forth.
0: And so, I wanted to plant a scene and to make it very visual for everyone listening. Is uh, th- this idea of leaner? You know, think about and uh, you you spoke extensively about this, right? At the largest landfill in Indonesia, they receive eight thousand tons of waste dumped daily by twelve hundred trucks. But even if you zoom closer to us, all the shit that we've been using ever since we were born. You know, from the, since the 80s, and it kind of struck me, I was watching an old movie from the 80s, I mean, not that old. Uh, and you see TV sets, DVD, not even DVD players back then, but, you know, the, the ancestry of the laptop, the mini uh, The Where has this whole thing gone, right? Has it been incinerated, sort of end of life, boom, blown up in fire or landfilled? And you might find this in every country in Western Europe, for example.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like people think they throw it away, that there's some magical way that will turn everything back into the same thing or something better, that there is this endless recycling loop of everything that we're dealing with. But, you know, it couldn't be far from the reality. The reality is that all this stuff that you've seen in the 80s, in this documentary movie is either sitting in a museum uh, it's sitting in the basement or the attic or it has been dumped and when we say dumped it literally means landfill I don't think incinerated you can't really do it with e-waste but probably some of it got burned too some of it was shipped to other parts of the world where it was uh, downcycled, so I wouldn't even say recycled, but you know maybe some rare metals like copper were extracted after it was burned out openly, and uh, that's the faith of pretty much everything you see around ourselves. It's not just old televisions and and um, equipment from the eighties. It's your clothes, clothes chair it's you're sitting on, furniture. you know, It's, it's yeah, buildings absolutely. were surrounded, you know, like everything becomes waste. waste. So the problem is clear, right?
0: So everyone can feel it around them. Now let's talk about the solutions. And this is what you're a big representative of this. And you're saying that there are, you know, six examples of great business models that could make a lot more money by going sustainable and could scale. And so I want to explore some of them. You know, one of them is to, to get rid of ownership and go towards pay for the performance, right? You perform a task and you pay for it. And you mentioned the light as a service from Philips, or pay per wash for from Electrolux, or airlines per hour. You know, you you rent an engine as an airline from Rolls Royce. So 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 what about all those all those things? So what's blocking that model from fully expanding? I mean, it, so mix it seems sensible. What's hindering
1: that growth? So the funny thing about these business models is that a lot of them are thriving. A lot of them are the dominant way of selling whatever it is, whatever the business is. And in many cases, it's been the reality for for years or decades. Um, When you think of the industrial symbiosis, you know, the last one, which is uh, a huge concept. It's it's been out there for many years. Uh, it's all about you know different factories in one location exchanging you know like their waste streams that could become actually an entry resource for a factory that's just standing next doors. Or it could be side streams like energy or steam and so on. That is happening in pretty much every big industrial zone out there in the world today. And no one's talking about it. Uh, but it's just so powerful and there's so much money and so many emissions to save that it's um, it's a pretty much daily reality uh, and it doesn't only get pushed by regulation. Whereas When it comes to the first one, like you said, the access over ownership, um, you know, that in a nutshell means, you know, you don't need to own a car to get from A to B. Car typically in Europe is parked 93% of the time that we own it. A drill is used for five minutes of its entire lifetime. And then it's just sitting in our basement. So um, we don't need to own these things to utilize them. That means you know we need access, not ownership. It's been a lot more challenging, I'll admit, uh, especially when it comes to the business to consumer market. So uh, anything that's kind of you know trying to disrupt the traditional way of selling uh, and ownership from a business to a consumer has been very hard to scale and very hard to take off for various reasons. I think, One of the main ones today I see is the cost. A lot of people make those calculations and they realize it's actually still cheaper to buy things and to own them. Like If you want to use the washing machine for five years and you need to wash... Every day, if you have small kids like me, then, you know, it will cost you a lot more just to have access to it. But yeah, it really depends on what kind of a business model you have in
0: mind. You're saying, though, and and you you were saying that the retail has only only so much leverage, right, in that conversation. But the producer, the manufacturer, so if you take the washing machine, for example, that Bosch, you know, uh, can push a new model in their own you know, sales channels and they can turn that into a reuse kind of cycles instead of or pay-per-use or lease for a couple of months, or a couple of years, instead of pushing in commercial channels that just, uh, you know, pressurize the people to buy long term. So do, do, what's what's blocking here? Is it the fact that they're not incentivized yet? you know there's no there's no pressure from the governments or the regulatory side or is it because you just don't get it they need a bit more you know advocacy at the executive level or is it because it is vastly more profitable to proceed business as usual
1: yeah it's uh, there's a lot to unpack here but great questions yuan um first you know in some industries especially the business to business, renting instead of selling has been the bottom line. You know, like Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know it, but when you fly that airline, Company that owns the plane doesn't own the engines in many cases. They are they are paying for a mile That the plane is flying to Rolls-Royce for example that maintains them Fixes them when something is broken and that way everyone is Incentivized in different ways, you know, the same thing goes for Airport in Amsterdam, Schiphol. They don't own the lights and that's a big facility, you know, with many, many different lights. They don't owe them. They just have access to them. They only pay when they shine the light. Um, th- the point here is that, you know, I hear a lot of criticism about, you know, circle business models and that it doesn't work. It works. It depends on the context. And when we go back to the consumer side of things, the retail side of things, and let's say like the daily appliances, um, there's still a huge potential. And The washing machines are a good example. because I live in Sweden, right? Uh, And what's very common over here is that you you have your apartment buildings and at at the bottom floor, there is a washing room. And there are washing machines from Electrolux that maybe are bought, you know, and, and you're actually, you know, like you're paying with your rent to to cover those costs. But those machines are super high-tech. You don't have to have one at home. You book your time when you need to wash. And there's also a drying machine, a drying room. So it doesn't destroy your clothes as much as as a cheap one that is not maybe so uh, good. And of course, you don't need to handle maintenance. If it breaks, they come, they fix it. So, And this is common in A country where you wouldn't expect it, right? In a country that has a huge footprint when it comes to consumption. And even here, this is an existing and thriving circular economy business model that not a lot of people even realize it's out there. However, it's tricky, especially if you come to a company today and we do that a lot and your task to develop a vision and and a circle strategy forward, it comes down to how do you sell your stuff differently? But actually, in order to do that, you have to design your stuff differently. You need to reinvent the way that what you're doing, how you're doing it, because if you want to rent instead of sell you probably don't want to fix it all the time you probably want to design something that's high performing and long lasting that doesn't need a lot of maintenance that means you might have to redo this the way that you've been doing you need to go back to your designers you need to talk to your business developers and sales team and say look guys we're going to actually get paid differently from here on. And we're going to start seeing our revenue change radically. So it's it's a major shift. It's a major change. And it, it's a lot to take in. And that's why I, I also believe on a company side, it's been rather slow. But the good thing is everyone's looking at it and everyone's experimenting with it.
0: So another example that you took in a circular world that struck the the right chord with me is to extend the product value. And you take the example of IKEA, which instead of selling a sofa at 600 euros, can turn that sofa into four time cycles of 1100, Euros, And so what does it look like? They sell it once and then they take it back, resell to a new owner and then take it back, refurbish it, putting on a new cover and then again, take, take it back and then recycle it into a whole new or upcycle into a new, whole new product. So IKEA seems to, to get it. Is it because the, the leadership... I just seize that opportunity, or you think it's just a wave that's going to wash over in every single sector and then become the norm and become super mainstream in the next five to 10 years?
1: I think Nordic companies have been kind of front running uh, when it comes to this for various reasons. But like the climate leadership here and the awareness between the general society is high. So you, you have top management that is concerned and has been concerned for years, and it can get all the way to the top of some of the biggest corporates out there that we know, like, you know, IKEA, for example. For the biggest ones, it's also pure logic. You know, they're like, where do we get our stuff? Like, how do we provide value to 10 billion people in the next 30 years? when we know we're running out of stuff when we know that you know this is a finite planet and we see the negative impact that our business activities our competitor activities are having on the planet right now so it's also i would say like a mid-term longer-term strategy how to stay relevant and how to close the loop not only to do good for the environment but to maintain same prices you know like it's. Pretty volatile these days, you know. You don't know how much aluminium or steel or, or cotton will cost in a year from here on, and the prices have been fluctuating a lot. So, if you don't want to depend on on these factors that will get disrupted more with extreme weather events, with climate change, with wars, with migration, maybe it's better just to make sure that you get your stuff back. You're making new things out of that, and you don't have to go through all kinds of middlemen and the supply chain that is vulnerable.
0: Now, I often like to zoom out and look at it from a first principle angle. You know, if you look at the full society the way it's constructed, it's a pyramid. Where at the bottom is you and I, you know, the retail consumer. At the very top is governments that can enforce new regulations, and in the middle is those comp- companies, organizations that are, let's face it, not properly incentivized to drastically disrupt themselves. So are you more a believer of the top down, you know, the governments that will wake up? You know, you're you're taking the example of the Nordics, but we are seeing that, you know, with Costa Rica, which completely flipped its side into a a green, an entire green economy, you know, in so many ways. Uh, Bhutan, you have multiple examples, but those are small countries. And so do you believe more in the top down, suddenly, you know, head of states waking up or the bottom up? Creating a movement from the bottom and then, which will create a bit of virality, and we're going to talk about content
1: creation on how to do this. But more top down or bottom up? I believe in both, and I know I'm not being really helpful right now. You know, like um, we need both, and both is happening, and both uh, is having an impact. And I would put it this way: it's never been worse when it comes to climate, but I've never seen more happening around me bottom up and top down and it gives me a lot of hope you know a lot of people ask me like how do you deal with all this you know how do you stay positive how do you what gives you hope and and this gives me hope to see you know like everyone's trying to do their part it's not easy i think i'm not a big fan of blaming consumers you know as like okay it's your fault you on because you just took a cab that's powered by diesel you know like Sometimes as consumers, we only have a bad or worse choice. We still need to eat, we need to drink, we need to heat up our homes, and we rely on systems that we have no influence over. And of course, there's this th- theory that if everyone in Paris woke up right now and decided to change their energy provider uh, to a renewable one, like that would uh, create so much pressure on the energy provider companies that they would have to change. And it's just happening on a much, 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 much lower scale. Um, And I think it's also convenient for the big companies to say, look, I mean, it's not our fault if our customers use our products in a way they shouldn't. It's not our fault if uh, our customers throw away that t-shirt in a bin where it shouldn't go. It's not our fault that if you drink the bottle you, and it ends up in the ocean. But I, I think that's wrong. I think it is your fault. You have to be responsible for what you're putting out there. Uh, not only you know in the extended way that we're used to it in Europe where you, just, you pay uh, for someone to handle that waste and you don't really care what happens with it. I think we need to go beyond that and talk about full producer responsibility. That has to come from the top it will create a lot more pressure on the middle uh, and it will alleviate all that guilty feeling that i think it's crushing for us the the bottom the individuals because i will of course i believe in the individual but not in a way you know where you would make impact with your wallet you know you can only do as much with the money that you have you own in which bank you have it and so on Um, you can do a lot more as uh, an employee, as a founder, as an innovator, as a community member, as a voter, as an activist, as a citizen. You know, we have to stop seeing ourselves as consumers. Uh, and if we, everyone sees ourselves as someone who can be the change, who can actually make radical impact that can affect millions and billions with something amazing, I think, yeah, in that case, I would definitely put my cards that the change will come from the bottom. But right now, it has to come from both ends.
0: Right. And quickly, sort of touching on Costa Rica, Costa Rica had a bit of a, uh, you know, aha moment where they managed to operate that full transition by banning illegal logging subsidizing land conservation investing in the ecotourism industry you have national parks everywhere and they spend the army funds on education and environment it that takes guts it takes also a vision to do operate this kind of change i unfortunately given the power struggles that we have in most you know european or Western OECD countries, I doubt that we'll have this level of visionary leaders in the, in the foreseeable future. It will take a catastrophe for the table to be flipped into a new generation of visionary leaders can to, can take over control. So, so the top down seems a little jeopardized right now. Um, yeah. Now, so let's talk about the other one, right? So the bottom up. And I'm also a fervent proponent of that because People just get it. And there's an army of us. You know, we're not hundreds. We're in the hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people that just really want to do something. They want to align themselves with their values to see that something is, you know, the t- ticking time bomb is, is going. And so one way to orchestrate that movement is through diffusing important ideas. One of the ways to do that is to do content. You know, on social media, it's a megaphone basically, and I found that to be extremely uh, helpful. I wanted to speak about you because you've done that uh, quite well, and you're actually transitioning in that sphere even more in the you know uh, you know the, the shortcoming future. Do you want to speak about this? And how, first of all, how do you how did you find that to be the right channel for you, and what do you intend to do more in the future to diffuse important yeah. ideas?
1: Yeah, I'd love to talk about it, Johan. So, it's been a journey, I'll admit. If you asked me a couple of years ago that, you know, I would have next to 70,000 followers on LinkedIn, that I would be a LinkedIn top green voice in Europe, I would never never believe you. I wouldn't even know that something like this is possible. But I think it all started when I was moving to Sweden. I come from Prague from Czech Republic originally, you know. My wife is Swedish. We lived in Prague and then you know, four years ago we decided to move to Sweden. And it was difficult for me in in and I'll explain because I was like, okay, well, now in Czech, in Prague, I'm you know, a, a big fish in a small lake when it comes to circular economy. It's it's a tiny country, and back then, you know, not a lot of people were looking into it. Whereas in Sweden in the Nordics, no one has probably heard about me. So what do I do? I'll start creating content on LinkedIn because I saw a gap. I saw a gap in the way that people were using LinkedIn back then. You know, I realized it it wasn't anymore about hiring. I realized, you know, it's it's a social media as any other. It's about inspiring, educating, it's about um sharing, it's about emotions as well. And frankly, not a lot of people care if I post a picture of someone shaking heads at some kind of a conference, you know, like that, that, that was the way that LinkedIn was to me four years ago. And I was like, why don't I just like start talking about things that are going on in my head, things that I believe that others should believe in things that inspire me and could inspire others. And then it, you know, it took two, three years to find that voice, find a way how to write. And Yeah. It brought me all the way here, maybe even to your podcast today. So it's it's been a it's been a great ride. But it's not over yet.
0: <laughs> it is not over, so we're going to speak about this, but how do you turn into an audience, which is kind of fickle. I mean, beyond the vanity numbers of number of followers or likes, or, how does that turn into real movement? How do you translate it into real impact?
1: Look, I haven't figured it out yet, but I think uh, this is ultimately, if you want to be a creator on LinkedIn and about some causes that you care about, you should be creating a movement. You should You shouldn't be aiming to create, you know, mass of followers who don't, you know, really care. They just kind of, you know, give you like here and there, but look, everyone can do what they want there. But uh, if you ask me, I would love to create a, a more, you know, tighter, but still a big community and provide as much as value as possible to, to make other circle economists, you know, because I call myself as one. And I think a lot of people are interested, like, how do I get into this? How do I become a circular economist, how do I turn a company to be, how do I change my workplace or my community or my city to be more circular? And that's ultimately that the community of people I want to be serving with my content. And I think it comes with two things. One is create that content. But second, be clear and specific, like, who is it for or be clear about like, why are you doing this, you know, because, you know, if you don't tell people that you're up for business or that, you know, that it's you specifically that I'm doing it for or because of, uh, you're missing out on a big opportunity, I believe.
0: So there's a value in itself in interconnectedness, right? Creating a community that I'm, you know, profoundly ag- agreeing with you, you helping diffuse important ideas and that alone can trigger, you know, the sort of butterfly effect that we need, right? Have you thought of a, a business model? Do you think there is a business model of turning those this audience into something that conveys to the rest, the stages of the rest of the pyramid, to corporates, to governments, to policy, to all this? Have you... Have you considered the intricacies of all this? The, you know, you know, the responsibility that is carrying by this community, or it's simply it's much a shorter game than that. It's just uh, people consuming and buying your content, and then trying to activate some kind of change in their own life.
1: I would say it's maybe towards the second thing. You know, okay. I'm, I'm when you say, have you considered a business model? Like, what do you mean? Like in from my own business model of doing this or something more fuzzy?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's it's we can brainstorm about this, but the same way that we anticipate when you know startups pitch to VCs, that kind of crisp vision of this is how it's going to turn out in five years, ten years, fifteen years, so that we dominate the space and create value. I think there are new business models emerging with this kind of audiences, right? And you see those enormous YouTubers that have turned into uh, you know monster companies, like huge organizations, and selling all sorts of products. I think we can leverage that in the climate or the circular economy space where your organization can diffuse, you're rewarded for diffusing very important ideas that are germinating, that are really spraying across society. And because you're taking society in a different direction, there's more value being created along the way. And so starting with the end game, right, the, the why, which is we need to get there where it's no longer, for example, perpetual economic growth as the number indicator of success. It is knowledge growth or it is uh, interconnectedness. And that's kind of reverse engineering to today and saying, well, maybe communities, it is the number one vehicle to communicate those ideas. And then the communicates will head into a sort of viral loop because. It is very important and transformative ideas here that we're trying to communicate. And the network effect is when each node of the network provides more value to the network. You know, maybe the number one thing that we should do is build more communities.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And uh, thanks for explaining. It's really interesting to just like listen to your flow. Yes, um, I believe in this a lot. I mean, it's, uh, it's called creator economy. You know, there are people on social media today, uh, and it doesn't have to be these fun influencers, but it, it, people who actually have amazing careers and a, a lot to share, that have found a great way to turn it into movement, into a community, and that have created amazing products and services that have made them rich. But that's not the end game. The end game is, you know, those people are usually powered by a strong mission. Like, I want to empower one million solopreneurs, let's say that. That's one of my favorite creators out there, Justin Welsh. I mean, I've read pretty much every single of his newsletters, and he inspired me to do something similar. Coming back to your question, yes, I'm. I'm really focusing on this a lot right now. I want to be a circular economy creator. I think I am, but um, I'm just getting started. So there's a lot in the pipeline I have in mind, uh, where exactly like you said, I would love to find a way to provide more and even deeper content, something a lot more in intrinsic and valuable than just a post LinkedIn to reach many many people. Because you know, like over the last one year, I think my posts have been seen by forty million people. Wow! Congrats. So next year it could be next year it could be eighty, and if you find a way to provide them with. Um, Something on top of your LinkedIn post, it could be a newsletter, it could be other products and services that are pretty common in the creative economy. Yeah, you could be really onto something. And that's exactly where I am when I announced on LinkedIn, you know, I think it was like a month ago that like I'm doing this, I was a bit protective over like, I didn't want to tell much, I still want to like feed that content a little bit over the next couple of weeks as I'll be rolling out like different services and the new me, but I'm totally um, into this. And I believe that a lot of people are thinking about it. And I'm with you when you say that, you know, um, this could be the next big thing for the whole like climate movement. Because it is already a thing for many different industries, like branding and you know, like personal finance and, and personal health. Like you have these influencers um, that have made a great and positive impact. But when it comes to climate, I think it's still yet to be explored.
0: You know, and, and it's funny because I, I was uh, vastly underappreciating the importance of that creator economy or influence marketing. Uh, being not an Instagram kind of guy, like I, ne- I never had Instagram, I just downloaded it because I felt like I, I need to better understand, right, how communities are built. The way I see it happening is Justin Welsh, for example, was the solopreneur kind of guy, right? He's, he's completely, uh, you know, embracing that. That that vision has built an enormous machine. That machine inspires hundreds of people to take kind of you know pick up the baton and run with it. You're taking this you know the circular economy hat. Now you're doing it for globally, right? And maybe someone in uh, Ethiopia or Indonesia might be the local. Champion for circular economy. And then we'll diffuse and get inspired by your kind of content. And then the people that he inspires or she inspires will go into the policy making and try to, you know, push some kind of reform. And you see how that creates like a, tr- a tree or that sort of pyramid that trickles down, which is quite unpredictable. But it is maybe, be, and it's funny because we say bottom up, but that tree, the rooting system, is actually kind of top down in a way, where the bigger the scope of the creator you know, for you, you're taking on a, a a product space that is quite large, inspires all the roots, you know, of this trickling of a lot of content. And and so as we wave, you know, the kind of older generation, we tend to say, oh, what are those guys doing just beyond posting on LinkedIn or just doing podcasts? The truth is, the biggest reward in Tomorrow's future is probably diffusing those transformative ideas because once they start taking root and building their own audiences, they'll become stoppable. So I'm very supportive of this and we need to figure out a way right, to monetize all this. Uh, have you thought of different ways of monetizing this? I know Justin Welch, for example, offers a class.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And now I realize what you were saying the whole time. I, I see that tree. I love that thought. And you're kind of speaking my mind. I've never said it out loud like this, but when I listened to you, I was like, yes, this is exactly why I'm doing that. Uh, I, of course, I mean, it gets even more fun if you make some money along the way. You have to, in fact, to, to mm-hmm. keep this up. So look, I mean, to be honest, the last few months... I've be making more money from LinkedIn, and I'll tell you how, than as a consultant or as, you know, doing all these big reports. First time in my life. And um, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't even, you know, I don't even tell people that it's possible and still it kind of comes to you. Um, keynotes and roundtables. Those were like, you know, autumn, everyone wakes up in summer, they want to do events, they're looking for people that could come. And uh, even in climate, some people got to that level that they're able to pay for keynote speakers to come Mm. and share what they think. So I've been doing that a lot. I've been traveling around the world and Europe, still have some trips planned. Um, Next week, Paris, then it's Berlin. Uh, I love it. And uh, that's the main source. Some brands are able or interested in partnering up with me. Some people like what I'm saying. They are trying to target the same audience. I'm even maybe their customer, you know, because I love those brands. Uh, I really support it. And then, you know, sometimes it comes to a partnership that is transactional as well. The brands are able to pay me to provide value to my audience, um, that is connected to the brand that's pay, Sponsored marketing campaigns. That's been also, I've been experimenting with that a little bit. It, it had a really interesting feedback. So that's the second thing. And then, you know, like Justin Welsh or many others, they have billions of different ways to explore this. You know, Justin Welsh is famous for his courses. Uh, some people have newsletters that are paid or free. But then, you know, if you get to thousands or tens of thousands of subscribers. You can uh, sell ads in those newsletters and keep them free for the readers. Some people have communities. Some people run uh, online and even offline communities. Uh, There are amazing softwares for that uh, where yeah, you can do all kinds of things. Uh, And it comes down to one-on-one as well. So uh, I know Justin Welsh... Two years ago, was offering one hour session for one thousand bucks, and he was always sold out. Now that's a lot of money, but apparently, like when you have four hundred thousand followers, uh, there's maybe always someone willing to pay. And um, he was recently just sharing his breakdown. Of income, and still, these the consultancy was, I think, the second biggest source. He just made five million bucks uh, right. since 2019 in revenue.
0: It's mind-boggling, you know, right? Which is kind of the, almost the biggest driver of revenues that people wouldn't expect, right? It is uh, not working in finance. It is not an asset allocation. It is just providing value. And I would say, as uh, Naval Ravikant, or I, I believe, said that the number one currency in the world is the impact that you have on others. I think the, the future currency is the vision that you manage to communicate effectively in the hands of, you know, in the heads of, of hundreds. And and so if you become world-class at this, you become world-class at communicating ways to inspire people. So they fail by listening to you, by reading your content, by visualizing what you have to offer, it sparks something in them that pushes them to transform their habits and take on that journey right, of self-introspection, but also operating that change within them and their ecosystem. This is how we're going to crack this. There's no other way this, you know, so I, um, and the bigger, the impact that you have, meaning the hundreds of thousands of people that consume your content, the more reward you accrue. It's a bit bit of the power law distribution, right? The guy that has Mm -hmm. a bigger audience, meaning that influences the bigger masses gets the more reward, monetarily speaking. And so I'm a big proponent of this, and I think we should explore. And it's great that we're doing this podcast on, you know, uh, helping more people doing, you know, jumping onto, you know, onto this creator economy, uh, uh, wagon. One of the key questions or pushback that we could get is, is this a, a positive sum game or a zero sum game? And is there a, a, you know, a space for everyone to operate? And initially I thought, well, there's not going to be thousands of, um, LinkedIn top voices, right? But maybe they will because it compounds and meaning that in your niche, in your geography, in your particular message, you will find an audience that is unlimited, uncapped. And that's all you need, right?
1: You don't need to have a fancy badge from LinkedIn to be a top voice and to provide amazing value and deep insights and information to whoever is interested in listening. And I'm with you when, um, when I say that. This is the new currency. For me, it's still time because I have two small kids at home. So I think like time <laughs> is still like the the biggest and the most valuable currency. But the second one is probably this: like what do I spend the time on? Uh, and and usually it's just like to make money or to get inspired. And uh, I think the second uh, to get inspired, get educated, will become increasingly more important with. Digitalization and, and the revolution that's happening on social media, education, and climate.
0: Well, we've been running for 40 minutes. Thank you so much, Volta. This has been a, a great conversation, and we were planting seeds here, you know, that hopefully will inspire people to, you know, embrace that new currency. So thank you so much. Great to follow your journey.
1: Thanks for having me, Ross. Great pleasure.
0: And to all of you guys, thanks again for tuning in. If you haven't already, sign up for my weekly newsletter. Along with receiving updates about each new episode, you will also get one actionable insight every Saturday to boost your career, fund a startup. My newsletter is value packed, authentic and full of unique insights. This newsletter is also the best way to join our growing community of climate investors. We found that building a community is probably the ultimate force multiplier and it gives us the momentum we need to create profound change. Let's share and collaborate. I'm just here to empower you to get started and set you on a path to success so our collective ideas can flourish and expand. Come join us to drive huge impact.